What's up, nerds? Before we get into this week's episode, we wanted to take a few minutes to reflect on what's been happening in the aftermath of George Floyd's murder in Minneapolis, what we've learned, and how we see ourselves and our work in the context of this broader movement. We know our platform is a small one, but we also know that the least we can do is use it to start a conversation about what it means to have a more just world and how we can all participate in making that a reality. We want to state, first and foremost, Black Lives Matter, full stop. We support people all over the U.S. who are speaking out against violence in their communities, both physical violence and other forms of state-sanctioned violence, like hunger, homelessness, and limited access to education. As scientists and white men who have benefited from a lot of the systems in place in our country, we want to do our best to acknowledge these problems and also think hard about how we can stop perpetuating them. We sometimes talk about explicit racism in science films on this podcast, looking at you, bubble boy. But there's so much more to be said about racism in actual scientific fields and what that means about who gets control over scientific research, SCICOM, and all other kinds of scientific narratives. We want you to know that we are listening and learning, and we're also taking some action. In addition to thinking about how we might more fully address these issues on our show in the future, grappling with the hard problems rather than defaulting to the comfortable silence afforded to us by our white privilege, we're doing what we can to make a real change in the world and want to encourage our listeners to do the same. In the next few days, we'll be posting links to political and social education resources so we can all be better informed about what's going on in our country and in our communities and use that knowledge to make positive change. We also want to encourage those of our listeners who have a few extra dollars to spare to make your voices heard in the form of that sweet, sweet cash money. The following are some places you can donate to support people speaking out against racism and violence. Check out the Black Visions Collective at blackvisionsmn.org. Reclaim the Block at reclaimtheblock.org, National Bailout at nationalbailout.org, and please support Unicorn Riot at unicornriot.ninja. If you're thinking more locally, you can also check out your local bail funds and mutual aid organizations who may have a greater need in the coming months. Make sure you're following closely on social media and pay attention to what black organizers are saying about where the money needs to go. For any of our followers who donate any amount to any organization doing anti-racist work, and then send us a screenshot of their receipt either on realsciencecast at gmail.com or any of our social media, we'll give you access to a special bonus episode put together by our two close friends, Matthew Lacari and Justin Waterfield. Let's make the world a better place. And remember, nerds, you boys love you. For better or worse, the relationship between science, film, and media has long been intertwined. We're here to dissect that relationship, turning it inside out for all to see. And throughout the years, one truth has revealed itself. You don't need good science to make a good movie, but it sure makes it better. Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Real Science Cast, the podcast where three highly qualified professionals pick a movie and then pick apart the science. My name's Kenan Smith, and I'm currently drinking tequila and ginger ale. Hi, everybody. My name is Sean Crossan, and I'm drinking a tall glass of lukewarm water. (laughs) That's disgusting. Um, My name is Michael Pace, and I am drinking an an average height glass of slightly chilled water. Um, I'm trying to stay hydrated during these desperate times. Me too. That's why I put ginger ale in this. That's that's a dilution of your of the poison that you're drinking. Alcohol is not poison. It is medicine. It is <laughs> okay. It is you medicine. You couldn't even say that without laughing. <laughs> uh, welcome to our science podcast, where none of us are depressed and we're all in good moods. And uh, this really week, good. 
That's good. You know what I'm feeling good about? I'm feeling good about this film because we watched a movie this week and boy, howdy. Boy, howdy. We watched a movie and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to spoil the whole show, but I would say it's pretty, pretty scientifically accurate. Yeah, I would say venture to say it's the most scientifically accurate film that we've watched. Mm-hmm. And uh, hey, Pace, what film do we actually watch? We watched Apollo 13. We did? That we did. Good old Lucky 13. This wasn't Armageddon. This It was not. <laughs> this was decidedly not Armageddon. <laughs> this wasn't The Martian. No. It was not The Martian. This wasn't life. It was, this movie was a successful failure. Was this, this wasn't a, you might Interstellar? Say. Okay, that's the one I was going to say next, okay? Yeah, I just want to point out how many goddamn space movies we've oh, watched. Oh, do you mean, this do wasn't you mean Moon, Kenan? Moon? Yeah, it wasn't Moon. Fuck! Or Moon. <laughs> Fuck! Yeah, we've, we've watched a lot. Of, oh, this wasn't 2001. The Space, space Odyssey. Odyssey. Okay. It was not well, 2001. I guess there's a lot of science in space. It so also wasn't suspected. Hitchhiker's Guide as wow, well. We've watched a lot of space Fuck, movies. All we do is watch space movies. We watch, only watch space movies and Osmosis Jones. <laughs> Did you just block and, out all the other movies that we watched? And Bubble Boy. Ugh. That was a movie about personal space. I guess. Well, anyways. You're right. We don't, we don't, we're not here to talk about those other space movies. We're here to talk about Apollo 13, which, for those of you who don't know, came out mm-hmm. in Go ahead. 1995. Yep. Nice. And it stars... Tom Hanks. Tomathan Hanks. Tom Hanks. Otherwise known as Tom Hanks. Tomathan right, right. Hanks. Tom is short for Tomathan. <laughs> Uh, Kevin Bacon, mm-hmm. uh, Bill Paxton, thank you. Gary Sinise, Ed Harris, and Ed can't forget Ed Harris. You can't, you can't. And uh, he was the best. By Kathleen far. Quinlan. Not nice. Oh, did you just say? Uh, oh, was there a female in this movie? Holy. Yeah, she was married to one of the. <laughs> Please don't the say men. female. You're not a Ferengi. Jesus, <laughs> a fer- Ferengi. What's a Ferengi? Oh my god, Pace, just watch Star Trek. What is wrong with you? (laughs) Oh, it's a Trekkie thing. Okay, that's why I don't know. It also had Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin in it. It did. It didn't really, but... (laughs) Yeah, it had two guys that looked just like him. Yeah, guys that looked just like him. Their sons, their sons. It was their sons. Yeah, it was uh, Woody Aldrin and... uh, Hold on, I've got something. I've got something. Stick to landing. Woody Aldrin and Stretch Armstrong. <laughs> Stretch Armstrong. That's, uh, wow. Live strong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh? Cool, 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 cool. 90s so, kids will love that joke. <laughs> yeah, sure. All right. So now that the audience knows we watched Apollo 13. Right. We stuck the landing on the intro. Yeah. We, we really stuck the landing. We fucking got it in one. <laughs> um, we should give our disclaimers mm-hmm. so that they know what kind of show they're getting into. Pace. I think we sh- do, do. Can we do something different this time for the disclaimers? Uh, yes. Pace, sure. I think you should do them. Are you sure? Yeah. I think you've got this. I think Pace okay. can do it. Uh, this is a podcast where we watch scientific movies mm-hmm. and we critique the science and sometimes we'll say curse words. So uh, you're going to want to put sensitive ears to bed. Like babies. Like babies. Mm-hmm weird you're welcome it's weird that that was like a real disclaimer i don't like know what's happening yeah <laughs> it's, we've got like a couple couple minutes of dead air time where no, Pace I, did, normally... I, I did it I, that's it yeah Pace, well that's that's i'm glad that we did something different this time and let you do, do the disclaimers what? what episode number is this 69 nice i was just gonna say <laughs> we're getting close we're getting we're, close. we're getting pretty close i think we we're in the figure, 50s we gotta figure out which uh which movie we're gonna watch for 69 
I have some ideas. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. We'll we'll talk about that around episode sixty. What what do you think? Episode sixty eight. We'll talk about. We'll talk about it probably. Do you want to do that? Okay. (laughs) Let's take this discussion offline. Yeah, we'll take this offline. And now we got to do we got to do the plot. We got to tell the listeners about the plot. For those that weren't alive during the Apollo thirteen missions, right, or who weren't in the movie. True. I think Tom Hanks probably knows. He knows. And he, he loves our podcast. So he was probably also alive during the Apollo 13 mission. We should say briefly, just because we've changed the rules on how we do the uh, do the plot a little bit. We still roll a D20. Whoever rolls the lowest is... Uh, actually, whoever rolls the highest has to do it. Whoever rolls the lowest doesn't have to do it. And then we also roll a D6. And we add plus one to that. One D6 plus one. And that's how long you have to do the plot. Uh, Sean doesn't have to do it this week because he... Did a decent expertly. job. Yeah, expertly. Expert, expertly. Uh, last week did the plot in about two minutes. Uh, a solid B. Yeah. So Pace and I are going to do this. And Pace, it's my understanding that you have your dice immediately available. Hey, Pace. Yes. Bees get degrees. That's All right. And honey. Bees oh. do get degrees. Uh, okay. Kenan. What'd you, what'd you get? Though? I rolled a six. I rolled a four. Fuck. Oh, hey, Kenneth, what'd you roll on your D6? Let me just pull it out from under the little shelf on my desk and see what it... Oh, fuck. What is it? <laughs> oh, it's a one. Nice. Really? Yeah. Look at you. I rolled a five on my D6. I'm going to throw this my D6 D20 in the roll. trash. Hey, Kenan, uh, you have two minutes to... Do- hey, sorry. Let me get let me get the stopwatch ready. You just tell me when you're ready. Oh, I've got a stopwatch right here in front of me, and I got to tell you right now, I'm feeling pretty confident about this. Okay. If you would like a minute to collect your thoughts. Mm, you know what? I don't think I need a minute. Okay? I need a couple of seconds. Here we go. Kenny, you're going to edit out that 20-minute break where you just thought about what you were going to say, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to edit out that 20-second break that I just took. <laughs> you ready? Mm-hmm. Cool. Yes. All right. The year is 1969. Jim Lovell, played nice. by Tom Hanks, is hosting a house party where he and his loved ones are going to watch Neil Armstrong walk on the moon. Uh, Lovell has been in space before. He orbited the moon on Apollo uh, on Apollo 8, the Apollo 8 mission, but he's never actually walked on the surface. Currently, he's working at NASA, basically giving VIP tours of people through the vertical assembly building, uh, when he's approached by his boss, and he is told that the person who is currently, uh, the crew that is currently set to fly Apollo 13 is not able to go, and so his team has to go. Ken Mattingly, played by... David S. Gary Sinise. That's right. Sure. Something Gary Sinise and Fred, played by Bill Paxton, uh, are on his team. They're training. Ultimately, they find out that one of the other people in the building had mumps. And so, uh, measles. measles, thank you. Ken Mattingly can't go because he's been exposed. So, at the last minute, Kevin Bacon gets switched in, Jack Swigert, and he's going to fly the mission. Fast forward to the date of the mission, they have a couple problems with one of the oxygen tanks when they go to stir it. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. Um, when they try and stir the oxygen tanks, it uh, causes a spark to go off. An explosion happens on the side of the uh, spacecraft. And then from then on, a whole bunch of other problems that they have to solve along the, uh, along the way happen while the, they and Houston try and get them back down onto Earth. Among those things that happen are them having to fix the CO2 scrubbers. They're having to course correct. They have to figure out uh, how to run on the limited amount of power that they have. All while trying to make it back to the moon as they circumnavigate around the outside and slingshot back, back to towards Earth. Earth. Yep. And that's it. They land. They make it. They get you back to more seconds if you want to just like say random shit, Kenneth. Uh, uh, Bush did 9 11. 
Well, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> the first 9-11 conspiracy theory. Kenan just blew the fucking lid off this whole thing. Yeah, there it is. Wake up, sheeple. <laughs> oh my God. How'd, I, how'd I do? That was good. You did... That was pretty good. You you did say get back to the moon, but I think that was a pretty pretty simple slip up. So. Oh yeah, you're right. I did say get back to the moon. Shit. Well, they go back to Earth. I'm sorry, listeners. They, it's okay. They slingshot they, uh, around the moon. I mean, Tom Hanks wants to get back to the moon. He does. They he all does. they all want to touch the moon. Mm-hmm. And they want to eat. They that eventually moon are dust. like, hey, why don't why don't we just get home, boys? Tom Hanks dreams about being on the moon several times in this film. Mm-hmm. He does, doesn't he? He has does daydreams, he? night dreams. Mm-hmm. When is day and night in space? I don't Who's think he say? does. But. No, he does. He has literally has a daydream in the middle of it as they're circling around the outside of the moon. Yep. And he's like, Correct. oh, fuck, to be on the moon and to witness the oh, Earth. Oh, you're right. He does. And he, he does, does. his little Remind thumb cover thing. Yeah, Through that dust. Yeah, that's right. Like, the moon, look at this. Mm-hmm. Which okay. I still don't understand the significance of, but whatever. It, he's looking at relative size in space. Yeah, that's how mm. you do it. Like... With your thumb. Like yeah, Leonardo da Vinci. Hold on. That's a standardized methodology, Kenan. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Mm-hmm. It's called, as much as I love thumb. talking about Tom Hanks' thumbs, mm-hmm. he has we really should talk thumbs. about some of the science in this movie. How do you want to lead us off? I honestly think we should lead off by just saying that, one, we are not any way involved in aerospace travel or engineering or anything like that. Astrologists. And two... This movie is based on actual historical events and is supposed to be extremely accurate. So just understand that when we go into the science, we're basically going to talk about some of the more interesting concepts and less about the accuracy because from our perspective and from what we could find in our preliminary research, the movie is very accurate. If you go and look at the Wikipedia entry for the Apollo 13 mission and then look at the Wikipedia entry for the movie Apollo 13, they are the same. And one of the reasons yeah. <laughs> it's so accurate is because the entire thing is documented and timestamped. And so the script was just literally the the NASA document that described the space mission. And it's we went through both of them yeah. and it is on the money for almost everything that happens. Right. But I think myself included and some of our listeners are probably pretty curious about one of the big uh issues that they ran into in uh this mission and that was the co2 scrubbers yeah for sure yes so first off canon mm-hmm. what's a what's a co2 scrubber yeah i can hey you know what i'm gonna answer that so co2 scrubbers do it they, oh 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 sorry uh all right hold on oh. does co2 make you dirty does CO2 make you gross? Yeah. Do you have to clean it? You have it? to scrub it off. So CO2 is nasty. CO2 has been a nasty boy. CO turd, more like. Nice. Okay. I'll cut that out. CO2 has <laughs> been a CO2 has been a nasty boy, and we're here to scrub it. And the reason CO2 or carbon dioxide scrubbers exist uh, is for a couple of reasons. One, primarily, they're used to treat exhaust gases from industrial plants. So anything that you see coming up out of a large chimney, you can utilize CO2 scrubbers to remove a large portion of the CO2. Who's to say how well it works, but they do exist for those purposes. Um, The other thing is, is they're actually used pretty widely in rebreathers, in spacecraft, submersibles. So we're talking about like submarines, things like that, or in any sort of airtight chambers. So the point here is that in a life support system, obviously you're going to be walking around breathing oxygen and then exhaling CO2. You have to remove that CO2 from your immediate atmosphere because if it accumulates too much, it will poison you and you will die, which is bad. You know, that's bad. No one's here for that. And so that's what yeah, CO2. no one wants to die. Yeah. CO2 is nasty and we're trying to scrub it. So one of the one, one of the things that Sean said that we see in this movie are CO2 scrubbers that are contained within the life support system 
on the Apollo 13 mission. And what they're actually using are what is known as lithium hydroxide CO2 scrubbers. So you can use strong bases, so opposite of acids on our pH scale, strong bases that can chemically react with carbon dioxide in order to remove it from the atmosphere. So effectively what you're doing, and you can imagine it kind of like your, um, like a filter that would be in your home AC system, you're pulling air through this CO2 scrubber pushing it through the lithium hydroxide filters, uh, lithium hydroxide screens, you could think of it as that way. Uh, the CO2 on its way through then reacts with lithium hydroxide, forms lithium carbonate, which would just be a waste material. Um, but then at that point, you've removed, effectively moved, removed the CO2 from that moving air. Yeah, and that's how it, that's how, that's how it works. I'm not going to go through the reaction, if that's <laughs> cool with you guys. Yeah, you don't need Tell to push me. any arrows here. Okay, mm. cool. Lots and lots and lots of different types of CO2 scrubbers exist. It's not just lithium that's used this way. And I mean, in recent history, uh, people are using these for uh, anesthesia machines. And in an anesthesia machine, you provide an inhaled agent. And there's an actual closed circuit that happens as you're breathing that in and then exhaling. So you can use these lithium hydroxide CO2 scrubbers then to remove um, the CO2 from what you're exhaling, thereby preventing you from poisoning a patient while they're under anesthesia. Right. Well, that's cool. That's neat, Kenneth. Yeah, they're rad as hell. There's a lot of different versions of these types of things, and they're they're pretty interesting. And, and something like the space station or something like a, an enclosed space, obviously you're moving air through it in order to cause this reaction to be carried out. But for something like an exhaust vent, um, like I mentioned in, in an industrial setting, you're exhausting straight through it. So actually you can just like line a column with these types of things in order to remove CO2. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah. And humans How produce a lot of CO2. Efficient. We do. Why is CO2 poisonous? Why is it why does it kill you? Why is it bad? Uh I, well it makes you well, it makes you sleepy. And then you uh <laughs> it, it does do that. It yes. does make you sleepy. And then it you does. fall asleep. Uh, you're right, and, it does. And then you don't wake up. <laughs> and yeah, you you yeah, you pass the fuck out. Like it's a in like regular air environments, if you had a lot of CO2 in the room, mm-hmm. it's part of it is that it's pushing out the oxygen that's in the air but part of it's also that just the co2 has like effects on your body because your body has receptors for co2 mm-hmm. right as as you're saying like you're breathing it in you're increasing the amount of co2 that's actually in your body and thereby like you know with with the way that the lungs works all right you're taking an air and then gases can diffuse into the lungs and then into the bloodstream you're not necessarily right. just like breathing in air and then scraping oxygen out of it inside your lungs it has to go to your bloodstream first so right exactly if you're getting too much carbon dioxide diffusing into your blood that can lead to uh, co2 poisoning much like mm. the way that Sean is describing right like it, it affects a lot of ways your body works without you really thinking about it like your breathing rate if you're breathing in a environment that's got a lot of co2 your breathing rate will just pick up because your body will instinctively start raising your respiration rate to try and get more air in because it needs more oxygen mm-hmm. so there's there's a lot of things that co2 can do to your body but obviously if you have a lot of it then you're gonna die so, yeah um so let's actually talk about speaking of like the air that they're breathing this was super interesting to me because I didn't yeah. even really think about what kind of air they're breathing in space. And you but, breathe air. And I, I breathe air literally all the time. This is your thing. Yeah. I'm all about breathing air. I don't blame <laughs> so, you. Yeah, but like, Sean, what do you mean by air, though? Like, what's in that What's in that air? When I say air, I'm talking about the gas particles that are surrounding me. And no, not when Kenan and Pace are in the room. I mean the regular gas wow. particles that are in... Wow. 
<laughs> he means <laughs> they're in our atmosphere. He means toots. Yeah, I meant toots. Um, <laughs> in Apollo 13, this whole cascade of events starts with them stirring an oxygen tank, mm-hmm. and that leads to a spark and an explosion. When, like like myself, when you're watching this movie, you might think, why would they be stirring an oxygen tank? Oxygen is a gas. And then you realize, well, in space, <laughs> everything's really, really cold, mm-hmm. and you could just have a bunch of liquid oxygen in a tank, and... That's what they have. So they're actually stirring liquid oxygen. And what they actually breathe is just straight oxygen in uh, the, in this mission, which is pretty interesting if you think about it. Because like even when, you know, most people are familiar with like scuba divers go down with tanks of air. And when scuba divers go down with tanks of air, they don't just have oxygen. They have regular air blends depending on how deep they go Mm -hmm. so it's got nitrogen it's got carbon dioxide it's got um oxygen it's mostly nitrogen and oxygen but the point is most of the air around us on earth is actually made of nitrogen it's like 70 something percent nitrogen right 78 percent 70 percent nitrogen and oxygen together make up about 99 percent of the yeah uh, oxygen's like 20 something percent right yeah, oxygen is about 21, mm-hmm. and nitrogen is about 78. So Wow. Yeah, so most of the air that you're breathing in is nitrogen, but in space, especially when you're traveling on a mission like this where you have to exit the atmosphere, you want to bring as little as possible. You don't need to bring a bunch of compressed nitrogen. Mm-hmm. You want to just bring oxygen. And so the way they do this and survive is that they're breathing the oxygen under extremely low pressure situations. So what that means is like, have you guys ever heard of the bends? I'm sure you guys have heard of the bends, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the way the bends work is when a diver is underwater, there's nitrogen in the air that they're breathing, right? And the nitrogen is dissolved in their blood. When they come up to surface, if they're down at a high pressure for a really long time and then they surface really quickly the nitrogen that's in their blood will start turning into a gas as it's in their blood. So you will get bubbles of nitrogen in your blood. And that is, as Mm. you can imagine, bad, extremely bad. Mm. Yeah, it's bad. So when they're in space, they're breathing in this low pressure environment. They're just breathing straight oxygen. And because they're at a very low pressure, they intentionally do this so that they don't have a bunch of nitrogen in their bloodstream that could come out of solution in this low pressure environment and cause the bends. Hmm. So anyways, okay. I don't know if I that got you. a little too detailed, but no, that makes it's just wild sense. to me to think that they're just breathing straight oxygen. Yeah, it, <laughs> it is, is wild. Weird. It's also very weird to think about breathing in a lower pressure environment, right? Especially that's, like... I think that's what got me. Yeah. yeah. Well, especially in, in in scenarios where we're used to on planet Earth, where something like... At least a common scenario would be like being on an airplane, for instance, where you are in a pressurized cabin because outside is a lower lower pressure environment, Right. And right. you're trying to maintain the standard mix of air, right? So, But you don't go through the process of acclimation to a pure oxygen environment before getting on an airplane. Yeah, exactly. And apparently for these missions, they take off with a regular air blend, and then they transition to the low-pressure oxygen blend, or not blend, but low-pressure oxygen mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. the first stage detaches or something. It's so. a, oh, this is beautiful air. It's a blend. Mm, what a th- mm. what a good year! What a, yeah, it's <laughs> what got a, a really good sniff. a really good nose on it. Yeah, nice. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, so, I mean, those were some of the main points we wanted to talk about. Pace, did you have anything you wanted to... Uh, I... No. Okay. <laughs> I do not. <laughs> I, I, I was... I was, I mean, I, I think that the, the air blend was something that I wanted to discuss. So I'm glad we got to talk about that. Um, I mean, the only other thing that I still think that I was questioning as to if it's actually how this happened, they, they had to burn, right? They had to course correct throughout their, Mm -hmm. throughout their journey. And, and they did this, um, without any computers and, and without any, other types of assistance aside from just they were manually doing it with with just the uh the thrusters on the ship and i'm honestly i was doubting i was wondering how if if how true that was to the actual scenario or situation i'm not sure you mean uh, that process of course correction yeah the process of course correction in an in an uh, atmosphere you where you can't turn the power on, can't turn the lights on in your ship. <laughs> so True. I honestly don't... Based on what we found about comparisons to the actual event, it seems that most things in this movie were pretty accurate. Yeah. Um, but maybe it wasn't as dramatic like that part. I don't know. That's what I would suspect um, as well. But they did have to do that course correction, apparently. So Yeah. Yeah. Right. Interesting. Go ask Ron Howard, Pace. Well, I can't just call him up. It's like... 8 12 p.m. Give, on a why don't you get Ron Monday. get Ron on the phone yeah get Ron on the horn <laughs> I almost said that <laughs> and then I was like no nah, I'm turning into my dad <laughs> <laughs> drop Ron a line I one of the things that I always thought was interesting was um this is just more like a scientific tidbit but uh they talk about in the film basically like they have um uh, in the re-entry capsule that they're that they're in uh they had to turn off their heating so it got very 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 cold um in the uh, cabin that they were in and during the process of talking about re-entry they're saying like oh you know what if the um the heat shielding that's on the bottom of the re-entry capsule uh has been cracked due to cooling and i always thought it was interesting but never actually thought about why you get so much heat build up as you re-enter the atmosphere and it's literally because as the object is entering the atmosphere it's the same reason it happens for meteorites but uh, it's moving so quickly that's compressing the air in front of it, and it's causing what's known as uh, uh, aerodynamic heating. So there's literally this hmm. aer- aerodynamic heating just because you've got compressed air, and uh, pressure and temperature are very closely related. So high pressure uh, systems right, yes. tend to be high temperature, and vice versa. But because of the fact that you're producing so much compressed air at the front of this object through a process, as, as I described, aer- aerodynamic heating, but also what's known as adiabatic compression. So compressing that I'm, air. I'm sorry, what? Adiabatic, adiabatic? compression. Yeah, um, you get the, you actually get the same thing on the front of pistons in a car. Um, where you, mm. by, because it's moving quickly and you're compressing the air so fast, um, you're raising the temperature extremely quickly. And that's what's happening on the front of this thing. So all these heat shields uh, are developed specifically because you're basically setting fire to the air because this thing is moving so fast that it's compressing the air that much. Interesting. That is pretty mm. wild to think about. Yeah. Like, it's something that I feel like anybody who's watched a space movie knows. You're like, oh yeah, like re-entry. Like, you're going to heat up and there's going to be like you know, a bunch of fire yeah. in front of you. <laughs> but like when you really sit down and think about it, you're like, that's a pretty fucking buck wild phenomenon that happens. Yeah. It's like, literally moving so fast that it's catching on fire. I, yeah. I will say that I hated physics whenever I took it in college. Um, mm-hmm. because it's, it's a, 
very dumb science. It's the dumb, dumbest of all the sciences, to be sure. Mm. But the, the the thing that I, I took, I took away, ecology also. Okay, an ecology. All right. Well, you, they can they can uh, they can they can both get a good run for it. But I think that the most important thing that I took away from a physics class ever was the ideal gas law, which is the 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 Pivnert, uh pressure times volume is equal to a uh, number of moles times the R constant times temperature. Mm-hmm. Just showing that like the universal relationship between pressure, temperature, and uh, volume. There it is. And how just like, it's very, very easy to make conclusions about what's happening in a system just based upon affecting those. That was, I can't, I think about that all the time and I shouldn't, but I do. Physics is important. That dumb equation. Mm-hmm. It is. It's very important. Physics is very important. And it's important that most of us just sort of enjoy it from a distance because <laughs> correct. Keep a safe distance, a from, safe from, distance from physics. From physics. <laughs> we biologists are jokes compared to physicists. Oh, yeah. Man. Just don't let them know that. Yeah. Don't tell them. No, I won't. I won't. We just keep keep telling people that we're going to cure their diseases, and then mm-hmm. you know everyone loves us. So exactly, yeah. Plus, when we publish papers, there aren't three hundred people on them. <laughs> Some good points. All right, that's joke. enough. Uh, that's enough razzing physicists for now. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we rate this bitch? Wow! Oh, I think I did one rap siren too many. I went. Can you have too many rap sirens? This is as much of this we can sing without getting sued. That's it. You could have said ratings town, but that's fine. Ratings town. All right. Now I'm going to copy paste that on top of. I'll go first. So this movie, in regards to science, five out of five because everything in it is accurate it's what happened yeah i yeah. mean there, there's probably one or two things maybe at some point that you could dock points on that one i may not know enough about to see it as a plot uh about space travel to see it as a plot hole um but for the most part everything seemed pretty accurate in regards to entertainment uh okay listen if i were to watch this movie a while ago i think i would have like been blown out of the water about it you know what i mean back back when i was really really into these like uh um, gung-ho, beautiful explorations of human emotions surrounded by massive events uh, type movie, like Independence Day, for instance. I like Independence Day for other reasons. This is Independence Day without anything interesting in it. Wow. I would say that for me, the entertainment is like probably a three out of five, actually. Jeez. Yeah. Wow. I thought this movie was boring. Well, if, if, if a movie is good, can intends to... Dislike. So here's the thing. I think it's a good movie. It is a good movie. Sure. I was not entertained by it. You you have unique tastes. I do. That's what makes me okay. me. Yeah, that's true. And you, right. and you and you taste unique. I do as well. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't know quite the about flavor that. profile. Tangy umami. <laughs> okay. Okay. Sean, why don't you All go? Right. All right. Uh, science. I'm gonna give it a ten out of ten because I don't fucking know any better than Ron Howard. Mm-hmm. So. Who am I to judge him? Um, and for entertainment, I thought it was really good. I mean, it's it's long. It's two hours and 20 minutes, yeah. which after doing this podcast, if a movie goes over two hours, I just automatically dislike it. <laughs> but I, uh, I honestly really liked the movie. Like, I was really paying attention the whole time. I would give it a 10 out of 10. So Damn. it's definitely not, like, unique, but it's also 
almost a documentary. Yeah. Like, it's not, but it's really heavily based on something that actually happened, so... I, I think, honestly, I would have preferred this movie just to be a documentary. Like, I think that's really what I what I would have wanted. Um, because then you'd be saying you'd be boring for an actual reason. you're so reason. hard to please. You wanted, yeah. you just wanted one ninja alien to pop in. One that's ninja. all you wanted. Yeah. yeah. I just want one. Yeah. Just one. But wow, yeah, wow. 10 out of 10, I would watch this movie. Pace, what did you think? I'm going to give The Science a 5 out of 5 uh, as well. Good. Because as Ken pointed out, there were times when it was boringly accurate, right? Um, so I'm also going to give The Entertainment uh 4 out of 5. I, I thought it was I thought it was good. Right. I For being uh, 2 hours and 20 minutes long, I was... Um, I was it, it held my attention for uh, longer than I suspected that it might. Um, with a two-hour and twenty-minute-long movie, uh, and that's that's an accomplishment because I don't watch movies. That's they are, saying something. You have a long to drag time. pace, kicking and screaming into a movie. I want to see. I need to see a movie poster with Tom Hanks on it, with Bill Paxton on it, with uh, Gr- uh, Greg Kinnear, Kevin Bacon, all like looking off to either side, like they're kind of stacked on top of each other. They're looking Did off into the Greg sun. Kinnear? Yeah, I, I didn't mean to say Greg Kinnear. You meant Gary. Sinise. I meant Gary Sinise. <laughs> uh, uh, and there's like a rocket flying up behind him, and then on the front it says three out of five stars. Held my attention for longer than I think it would, <laughs> Michael Pace. <laughs> You know what? Why don't they get Greg Kinnear in there also? Greg Kinnear should have been in this film. (laughs) Cool. I mean, if you haven't seen it, you should watch it once. And then you should probably never watch it again. If you like space movies, you should definitely watch it. Yeah, you should. Yeah, I think so. You should. But also, what are you, a space guy? I'm definitely not a space guy. And neither are any of our listeners. No. Well, Pace, you say that, but we did get a few questions from our listeners. Oh, we did. The space guys. They found us. We should talk about these space people. And what their questions are. Well, guy, yeah, don't, don't worry, Ken. And guys is gender neutral. So. Space dudes. Dudes is general neutral. <laughs> Space brass. Pace, why don't you read the first question? I would be happy to. Thank so you. This is a question that comes from the Twitter. Okay. Um, from at Abnormal Mormon, Curtis Ryan DeGraw. Thank you for your question. Mormon. He's a good friend of the show. Um, he asks, other than the limitations of access slash wealth what are the biggest hurdles to more widespread space travel uh government investment government investment is one <laughs> i think that still have, counts as although well. he, he probably says that's a wealth issue right government yeah. interest uh, <laughs> government interest um i mean i think that it, you have to define what you mean by widespread does he mean like more often more frequent or does he mean to actual further distances well, and <clears> i think what what he's getting at is that like this movie is a good example that space travel is very dangerous. Yeah. Like, super dangerous. There are a lot of aspects that can go wrong. So Agreed. even if you have a lot of funds, you know, you got to under like people spent a lot of time researching and building this stuff on earth and planning for it to work in space and shit still goes wrong. Right. So like I would say, I'm not saying they had unlimited funds, but they definitely spent a lot of time and money on it. Um, I wouldn't call it like a rush job, you know, like doing an Apollo mission. So I think a lot of it is just just that it's really complicated and dangerous. And that if you're going to talk about like long-term space travel, like going uh, to Mars or something, like where you're really like leaving orbit and everything, you're 
gonna have radiation problems like that's yeah. gonna be the biggest issue and all of your other problems get multiplied right right so, exactly like, the further you the further you leave earth or the further distance you get away from earth the more oxygen you need the more of everything you need you need to be able to sustain a crew you right. can't leave with too too small a crew because you're gonna need more people as you if you go farther away um to carry out various functions and actually sean the thing that i thought you were going to bring up that the other point that this movie makes is actually after Neil Armstrong lands on the moon, um, Apollo, the Apollo 13 crew goes, and they can't even air it on television. Nobody's interested in oh, it Oh, yeah, because no one gave a shit, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so I think actually one of the reasons, uh, you know, Merman might have been asking the the um, other half of this question, so going, further, going a further distance, but the other reason that we aren't really going into space as much anymore and why it's currently privately funded uh, is because we're not trying to beat the Russians anymore to get into space. Yeah, that's... Um, that's and so the government doesn't yeah. really have, you know, an impetus to do so and funding interest is much lower. And so now we have, you know, what what's his name doing it? It's rough because, like, I feel like even though it it is a a huge feat for someone to do that to someone in the general public. Like when people are doing it for science experiments, you know, like an explorations based science experiment, you might as well just have for some people uh, like a TV footage of, of me pipetting a plate, you know, like yeah. it's like the same to them. It's the same thing. Like it's obviously not the same thing, but if you aren't involved in thinking about it or like learning about it from the start, you know, it might not, you're like, oh, cool. I mean, that's just as crazy as someone doing something else, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. You could argue there's less of a reason to do it, but I think that the allocation of funds, this is more of a political answer, the allocation of funds is is unnecessarily skewed away from from science and technology, just like in general, in regard, especially within the U.S., because, um, you know, that I think NASA is less than 0.5% of, of the budget, and then the discretionary military spending is like fucking half yeah so like it's not advocating for like 25 and 25 just a little you know when we can make the military spending zero right that we would stop killing people Pace, but, you're, you're so close capitalism is ruining science I, guys, well, there's, okay his there's, question was without with like without worrying about the funds i know uh i you know what i think that be like part of the reason is that is i want to say a limitation is distance because unless we can figure out how to travel, I don't know, the speed of light, then we're not really getting anywhere interesting <laughs> um, True. Uh, in space. So, yeah. yeah, and I think also the, the other reason, um, and this is kind of combining both things, but the major reason why, the, or at least of public interest, the reason why we would go to space again would be to try and figure out how to uh, inhabit it. Um, and the technology as it exists on planet Earth is not translatable yet to say mars so the yeah. reality that we're dealing with is like people want to go live on mars and that's really o the only thing that like the public is interested in yeah, elon musk the, really wants to go there <laughs> right the the lay public for the most part is going to be interested in is like what does the future look like for space um and, and to sean's point like we still have to carry out experiments which are just going to space and figuring out how to be in space it yeah. just happens that these are really expensive experiments yeah and right. so I, I mean, lots of other expensive experiments happen all over the place all the time, but these are just extremely expensive to carry out. And because the effects, like the immediate effects to the public are not as visible, it's even harder to justify. Right. And like, they're always life-threatening too. Right. Like you're always putting someone in peril. 
Yeah. Which like, not like directly, but you're putting someone in a da- in a t- tense, dangerous situation, which yeah. like, it just slows down the time for things. And like the number one thing for scientific accuracy is reproducing stuff and being rigorous with it. And you just, it takes way longer to do that in space. So one last example before you leave the question, but to your point, one of the experiments that we have to figure out and that, I mean, some work has been done on this, but one of the experiments that you have to figure out is how do plants grow in space. Um, and so when someone mm. does something like, this is very reductive, but how it's often viewed when someone does something in the lab, that's like, Oh, I work on fruit fly genetics and try and translate that, that to humans. You can go, go, Oh, why the hell are you working on fruit flies? We should be curing cancer. But the person who's doing fruit fly research is spending no money compared to the person who needs to figure out how plants grow in space. Right. Right. But we need to know how plants grow in space if we want to inhabit space. So <laughs> yeah, true. It's just complicated. How about I read our second question? Thank you for the question, by the way. Thank you, Merman. Merman. Um, our, who's that? Sean, who's it from? Our second question is from friend of the show and daddy of the podcast, nice. Jack Crossan. Jack uh, refers to himself as the, the daddy of the podcast. Daddy. He does. <laughs> he really likes that reference. And Sean um, hates it. I, it's awful, but I said it anyways. <laughs> so. <laughs> All right. His question says, I see on the news, and this is a COVID-related question, so okay. I see on the news a guy talking about several possible coronavirus vaccines being developed, protein-based, mRNA, and adenovirus therapy. Can you guys talk about these different kinds of vaccines? Thank you. Um, thank you for your question, Jack. Boy, howdy. So I did a little bit of research into this because none of us directly work on vaccines, but we're, this is a lot closer to our field than Apollo 13 is. Yes, it is. You could say um, that. So traditional vaccines are protein-based. They use a attenuated or an inactivated virus or sometimes just like chunks of the, the protein shell of the virus. And mm-hmm. Sean, just real quick, attenuated means weak. Mm-hmm. or oh, not yes, so strong yes. attenuated means weak yes. it's a yeah. shitty version of the virus a shitty virus yes yes yeah. one that will not make you sick right uh, but will still trick your immune system into thinking it needs to do something mm-hmm. right um so basically how these work is someone injects the proteins into your body from this virus so it's either inactivated or it's proteins and your body sees this and it goes like oh shit we've been infected with a virus all hands on deck and you mount an immune response. But even though you mount an immune response, you don't actually get sick because the virus is not capable of productively infecting your cells. But what this does is builds up your immunity so that if you were to get infected by an actual live version of that virus, um, an active version of that virus, your body would already be primed and ready to defeat it. Right. So that's how vaccines work in general. And there's a certain threshold that you need to achieve in order to get like actual preventative immunity. So your body needs to have a strong enough immune response in order to actually fend off infections. Which is why some vaccines need boosters. Exactly. Which is why you get multiple injections. Um, And so protein-based vaccines are the traditional vaccine. But people are researching new types of vaccines. One of them is mRNA-based. So the way that works is you... Someone takes a mRNA, which is basically just a... I'm trying to think of the best way to describe this. It's... Want me to hop in? Yeah, sure. (laughs) It's mRNA is... So RNA comes from DNA. Your body sees your DNA and it goes, oh, okay, I want to make this protein. mRNA is the messenger between 
DNA to protein. So you take that DNA, you turn it into mRNA. That mRNA is moved out of the nucleus in a cell into the cytoplasm, and then the mRNA is translated into protein in the cytoplasm, and then that protein goes off to do whatever it needs to do. Right. So the way these vaccines work is instead of just injecting a bunch of protein into your body, people, scientists are looking, these are experimental, at using mRNA, which they deliver using, like, nanoparticles or some way to get it into your cells. Right. And once the mRNA is in your cells, your cells will start making protein from the mRNA and it'll be viral proteins. And then they will basically present that to the immune system and your immune system will mount a response. So that's how the mRNA stuff works. And then the third question, which my dad asked was adenovirus vaccines. So adenovirus is a virus and it's a, it's an extremely immunogenic virus. And what that means is if you get infected with adenovirus, your immune system is going to go buck wild because mm-hmm. adenovirus wrecks your cells really, really quickly and it replicates really, really fast. So you generate a powerful immune response against it. Right. So the way they use this for a vaccine is they take adenovirus, they remove a bunch of its DNA so that it's not actually infectious anymore. Or well, it's not as virulent, basically, it's not going to yeah. replicate and destroy all of your cells. It's not cytotoxic. It doesn't yeah, destroy cells. Yeah, it's not cells. cytotoxic. They, they attenuate it. They weaken it. Okay? Yep. So they weaken adenovirus, and then they replace some of its DNA with whatever viral proteins you're trying to target your immune system against. So in mm-hmm. this case, it would be um, SARS-CoV-2. They would put some genes from SARS-CoV-2 in there. So that your that your cells start making the protein, your immune system just makes antibodies against all of it. I know that may be a little complicated, but I did my best to try try and simplify it. But no, you did great. There are basically three different ways of getting your immune system to get prepped for COVID nineteen viral proteins. You're just setting up the body. I think it's interesting that uh, a lot of the tools in which we classically think about. Uh, it, it's it just is a demonstration of of taking the tools that we have as scientists, such as our gene delivery mechanisms, and and using it for the purposes of a vaccination instead. Right. Um, exactly. Yeah. Like adenovirus has been researched for like therapeutic gene therapy in like the nineties. It turns out it's not actually the best for that because you get such a big immune response. But now people are like, well, because you get an immune response when you're trying to make a vaccine, you want an immune response. So maybe yeah, we could use it right. for that. So Exactly. But yeah, awesome. so thank you for your question. Yeah, oh. thank you, Jack. Appreciate it. Hell yeah. Um, well, I think Jack also asked us a question on Instagram, um, but we already answered it. Uh, I'll go ahead and read the question. So he gets the satisfaction of hearing us say his name on our podcast. Uh, he said, please address the science of CO2 scrubbers. My dad talked about them, sub- talked about them on submarines. So we mentioned that earlier. Uh, also, the one astronaut is sick. How will longer voyages like to Mars deal with this? That's a good point. I didn't know that the other part of that was on that question. I mean, the so, vomiting. Yeah, the vomiting. The nausea. So how would you deal with a sick astronaut? That would be very problematic. Um, because I he also had a fever the entire time as well. Yeah, right? I mean, like, in theory, if you were going to really deal with a sick astronaut, you would need, like, a medical bay kind of like you would need medical equipment and you would need someone to be trained in like as a physician who's up there with them or ideally you would 
not send sick people up, but honestly, you can't always know that, right? So Yeah. I mean you're hearkening back to the to Merman's question here, right? Like the longer mission you go on, the longer you have people being in space but still being people. Um this is a reductive example, but if you have a mission to Mars and on the way back, you could have an astronaut that just like gets diarrhea and then has to drink twice as much water as everybody else on the on the crew. Right. You know what I mean? Just stay yeah, alive. There's just a lot of stuff you have to deal with. So yeah, that's not, a good question. Not to though. mention, you know, training physicians how to use medical equipment in a zero gravity environment. What complications that would that would lead? Right, to exactly. Well. Like you can't just so. have an, an IV bag and trip. Like, <laughs> yeah, you can. Yeah. No that's right, Sean. Actually, you couldn't do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you gotta like, like gently simple squeeze things, it. Like, like basic things. You can't put yeah. a patient on a drip because there are no drips in space. <laughs> right, you have to squeeze it. You have to put pressure on it, and it's. It complicates a lot of things. So that mm-hmm. is a good question. I don't have a good answer. And I don't think NASA does either, which is why we haven't done these missions. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good point. All yeah. right. I think that's it for questions. Um, All right. Well, I was gonna, I was gonna do a nice jingle for the quote segment, but um, my guitar's in the other room and I don't feel like getting up. So. Oh, I feel you sing that. it to us anyway. Yeah. Can you just like um, acapella it? I don't think it would be the same because I I don't really. Well, your one last week was like really fucking bad, so I think like. <laughs> okay. I think right. uh, any sort of pre-pro. <laughs> You're sure? So yeah. You think go like for maybe it. quote in a box would be a good one. Oh, I could fucking hell! No. Or quote in my pants. <laughs> I've already paid so much money to the Lonely Island because of what you did. So. Okay. It was a parody, so we don't owe them anything. Yeah, fair that's use. fair. Well, give us give us a quick snippet of what it would have sounded like, and then let's do these. It may sound I may sound a lot like Kenan in this part, but it's just okay. I'm I'm practicing my Kenan impression. So here we go. I'm gonna do the jingle right now. Every quote has its place, <laughs> and that's not on our fucking podcast. Hey, this is Sean's quote corner. And this is the last episode of it. <laughs> you can pry the quote quarter from my cold, dead hands. But thank you for the intro, Poison. <laughs> um, okay, this quote, I'm going to go re- really quick on this one because this movie doesn't have any funny quotes, but it does have a memorable quote. Let's hear which it. Which is, Houston, we have a problem. Ah, uh, that's a good quote. <laughs> I haven't heard that quote before. This is a coward's quote selection. What do you want me to say? Okay, here, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me get another fucking quote for you, Kenan. Okay, let's hear it. Uh, Jim Lovell says, it's like flying with a dead elephant on your, on our back. How about that? <laughs> That's a pretty good one. I like that one a lot. Yeah. Much better than Houston, we have a problem. He also says, we just lost the moon. What about when someone asks uh, Bill Paxton if he's hungry and he said, I would eat the ass out of a dead rhinoceros? Yes, he does say that. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> Well, no one put that on Rotten Tomatoes, so I don't know what you want from me. <laughs> That's fine. That was great. That was great. I'm very proud of you. All right. I we have to we have to tell the people what movie we're gonna watch next. All right. Next next time on the Real Science Cast, join us as we critique the science of the movie Volcano. Hell yeah. Volcano. Starring. I've never seen this movie. Hold on. Hold on, Kenneth. Tommy Hold Lee on. Jones. Oh, really? <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Oh my god. This movie looks terrible. That's <laughs> <laughs> so bad. Just remember, folks, the tagline for this film is the coast is toast. Mm. Oh it's my gonna, god. It's gonna be fucking great. 
so excited. I can't wait to watch this. I think this. this movie also has Leonard Nimoy and Zachary Quinto in it, right? Oh, shit. No, wait, no. That's 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 Volcano. That's Volcano. Sorry. God wow. damn it. Sorry. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's the only funny thing you've ever said, you motherfucker. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> All right. Well, if you want to get good. a question to us about Pace's bad jokes or about the movie Volcano, then... Uh, Hit us up on any of our social media. So you can find us on Facebook, Real Science Cast. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram, at Real Science Cast. Or you can send us an email at realsciencecast at gmail.com. If you have any cat-related questions, please send it over to the folks at realsciencecats at gmail.com. They haven't had a lot of traffic recently, and they're just itching to get their paws on some questions. Wow. I have a question for you guys because I actually have a DVD copy of Apollo 13 that my dad gave me, but where did you guys watch it? Did you have to rent it or was it available yeah, somewhere? It's $4 okay. on Prime. Yeah, Lame. four okay. bucks. Four All fucking right. dollars because our dads didn't reach out with a DVD <laughs> copy. I could have mailed it to you, I guess, but it would have taken us like four weeks to watch the movie. Yeah. All right. Well, if there's nothing else, I wanted to say one more thing. If you are out there please. protesting, please, please be safe. Please be safe and listen to black organizers and don't be an asshole, please. That's good. I like that. That's just a message we should say at the end of every episode. Don't be an asshole. (laughs) Don't be an asshole. Don't be an asshole. (laughs) Yeah, I guess let's thank Otis McDonald for the use of his song. Third Eye Blimp is the intro and outro of the podcast. Thanks, Otis. We appreciate it. uh, I guess we should thank all the listeners because we haven't done that in a while. So listeners, thank you. We really appreciate the support. Mm-hmm. especially the patrons because especially it means a lot patrons. that anyone would pay us money to do this show because it's really I'm surprised awesome. every time a person that I don't know talks to me about the show and it makes my heart grow six sizes seriously oh. we, re- we really do do appreciate it so yeah thank you guys for your support I am gonna go drink tequila and probably watch more Itaewon class Enjoy awesome. it. Hell Take yeah. us away, Kenan. Okay, here we go. We're going away. My name's Kenan Smith. My name's Sean Crossan. My name's Michael Pace. Okay, We're going Sean. away. Sean, do it. Take us away again. All right. Do it. You don't need good science nice. to make a good movie. Hell yeah. But it sure makes it better. <laughs> Couldn't think of anything funny to say, huh? <laughs> Ignition. Blast off. Beep boop. I don't know. That's space noises. <laughs> Pace, do a Sean impression. Uh, let's wait. see. I'm so excited. Sean, can you Hold give him on. an example sentence? An ex- say a thing that <laughs> I, you would normally say. I drank say. too much milk and shit everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> that is a thing you say. Uh, yeah, my name is rubble, uh, rubble. my name is Sean, and uh, my my stomach acids can't can't comprehend lactose. You just you're doing your voice, but you're saying a thing about Sean. I mean, like, do a full-blown Sean impression. Like, you might speak from the nose. Speak from the nose. Um, Speak from the nose. You have to sound like you have a cold. Wow, that's pretty good.